Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode three of the Rich and Facts podcast uh, of season two. My guest today is a good friend of mine. He is a professional journalist. You've seen him before on ESPN, Nesson, Watch Stadium, and Boston Neighborhood Network. You know, this man... He's funny, and just like his last name, he goes balls to the wall with everything that he does. Ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce you to Leverett Ball. How you doing, my man? What's going on? Yeah, thanks for having me on your podcast. I mean, I'm honored to have you. Like, jeez, uh, we were just, I mean, basically just catching up, shooting the shit for like the past, you know, 10, 15 minutes. Um, but, you know, I'm a big fan of, you know, everything you've done so far in your career as far as journalism. And, you know, I just wanted to, you know, get your name out there and uh, the work that you do to a bigger audience. So, um, yeah, but um, I've never asked you, I don't think, like, where, you know, like, where, how did you get started? Like, where did your passion for, you know, broadcast journalism come from? Well, yeah, well, first of all, I mean, it's good to catch up. Um, there are a ton of people I haven't seen since before the pandemic started. You included. Yeah. Like, the majority of my friends in different contexts I have, I haven't seen, uh, like I said, since before the pandemic, apart from, like, on Zoom calls. But, um, yeah, good to be here. And uh, as far as where I got started, um, I mean, I you know, broadcasting is not as different um, from a lot of other careers as far as how people get started. You know, I first got involved in it in college and started interning and then, just kind of went from there. Um, and, you know, when you first get into broadcasting, it's all about building up a resume, um, you know, and in, in order to build up a resume, sometimes you work for low pay or no pay at all, or I've even heard of people who have paid for opportunities, paid to work. Um, and then, yeah, once you build a little bit of a resume, you have a little bit more uh, leverage um, to, you know, negotiate for, for higher pay or for better opportunities. But, um, it's all about getting started, and yeah, it's it's not glamorous uh, starting out, you know, as you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, talk about, uh, you know, I guess, like, you know, did you always want to be a broadcaster since you were little, or did this kind of come about a little later in life, maybe like in high school or college? Like, when did the interest um, start? Yeah, definitely college. I did not grow up wanting to be a broadcaster. I mean, I grew up, you know, playing sports, watching sports, Um I had an interest in being involved in sports in some capacity growing up. Um, but I wouldn't say, you know, I was one of those kids from an early age. I knew what I wanted to do. You know, when I uh, finished high school, you know, I had no idea what I wanted to do post-college. Um, and yeah, they just kind of developed in college. Um, but, you know, it's, it's what I want to do long-term. And, um, you know, even though it wasn't what I grew up wanting to do, you know, once I got into it, you know, I got serious about it, got committed and yeah, here I am. And, uh, you know, like where did you intern in college? And, uh, on top of that, like, did you do any, like, I mean, you know, where did you go to college and did you do anything on campus as far as like PA play by play for your college sports teams? Like, what was that experience like in college? Yeah. I mean, I, Started doing, um, you know, broadcasting on the campus radio station as soon as I got to college. I went to Curry College in Milton, but when I first started doing it, it wasn't that serious. Um, you know, I I played on the baseball team my freshman year um, at Curry, then also played um, a little bit with the rugby team further down the road in my time at Curry. When I first got to Curry, I was really just focused on playing sports, and I was part of the campus radio station, but 
I missed a lot of the meetings for baseball practice. Um, and so, and it wasn't a top priority for me. It was just kind of a side thing. Um, my junior year, I did, uh, an internship with, uh, the Boston Herald. Um, and that was the first serious commitment I made to, um, you know, the media field. And the first time I actually seriously considered doing it after college and not just, um, like I said, you know, kind of a, an in-college hobby. Um, and then I also did internships after that with uh, NBC Sports Boston. Um, they were called CSN New England at the time and uh, also WEI Sports Radio. Um, and, yeah, um, you know, once you do one well-known internship, it opens doors for others, and they're just kind of a snowball effect. And, you know, you try and leverage every opportunity you have, every connection you make. Um, and so I think, yeah, like I said, when I was an upperclassman, I started interning. That's when I really got serious about it. Um, and then since I've, you know, gotten out of college, um, you know, I've continued to do it. And a lot of kids, you know, in the TV and radio program at Curry, um, who I went to school with are not broadcasting anymore. And, you know, the challenges of the real world and adult life make it harder and harder to stay in the industry, but the harder it's gotten to stay in the industry. And the more people I know who have dropped out, the more I've wanted to, uh, you know, to stay in it. And, um, yeah, I mean, I could go on and on, but, um, well, you know, do. I'm I mean, pretty focused on, yeah, on, on doing this broadcasting thing. Um, and, uh, yeah, just, you know, like I said, it's a long-term commitment and you just do whatever it takes. Yeah. And, um, you know, I definitely want to get into kind of like the dark side of the, of the business in mm -hmm. a second, but you know, before that, I kind of want to go back to the part about you interning. So you've been, you've interned at some like major news outlets in the Boston area. And as we know, Boston is, is a top 10 market perennially. What was it like for you as a young intern to those places? Because for myself, you know, interning at some big news outlets, like it was very like, you know, I had to pinch myself because I'm like, man, you know, these are people that I grew up watching as a kid, even before I knew I wanted to do this. So just to be in the same room as them, breathe the same air, like, like, are you like, like, what was that like for you? Um, I mean, I would say, you know, my advice for anyone in that situation is just act like you've been there before, even if you haven't, mm -hmm. you know, and it, don't be intimidated, you know, talk to these people like, um, like you talk to, to anyone else. And, and, and my big thing is, you know, I, when I interact with people professionally, you know, I try to, uh, you know, treat them with respect, but I, as long as I am alive, I will not kiss someone's ass. I don't care if, if Jesus Christ walks into the room. I mean, no matter how long someone's been in the industry, you know, if I watch them on TV growing up, I don't kiss ass. Um, I just try to be genuinely respectful. And, you know, if those people are used to getting their ass kissed and they're used to people being intimidated, if you can actually, um, you know, kind of meet them eye to eye and, and interact with them like a normal person, they'll admire that about you. Um, and, yeah. Um, you know, I guess I say fake it until you make it. Um, like I said, act like you've been there for a long time. And that's hard for some kids, especially, you know, when I interned at NBC Sports Boston, you know, I was shadowing their Bruins coverage team. I had a couple different times when I got to, um, you know, interview Bruins players in the locker room as a 21-year-old college kid. But like at the time I was in college, I lived in a college dorm. I didn't even own a car. Like I would literally interview Bruins players and take the subway to class. Um, so it was definitely kind of a double life, but I mean, as strange as all that sounds, you just try to, uh, you just try to, you know, take it in stride. And, um, also, you know, I mentioned before we started recording, I, uh, I'm a little low energy. I had a 6am fitness class this morning. 
So I've been up for, for quite a few hours at this point. I also have a little bit of a cold, um, but you know, once we, once we get a few questions deeper, I think that's when the, the beast's going to come out. I, I actually watched on Instagram this fitness motivational video and this guy's lifting weights and he says, you do whatever the fuck it takes. So in like two to three questions, I'm going to be in that mentality. Right now, I'm still warming up. Well, I'll say this. You know, you're one of those guys who like, you know, you're a ball of it. Like to say, I don't even like to use the, I don't even want to say a ball of energy, but I would say like you have like an aura of energy. So even, you know, I mean, first off, I, I want to say on camera, I really appreciate you being on my podcast, you know, especially with you being under the weather. And I know you've got such a hectic schedule. So I really do appreciate that, that you're doing it. You and know, kind of I, go hand in hand, you know, yeah. when you, when you work all the time, don't sleep enough, you get sick more often. Yeah. So. That I, I, that, that, that's how I felt a lot when I was in college, man. You know, I mean, yeah. like 8 a.m. classes and then you're up till like, you know, two, maybe five in the morning doing homework. And it's just, it's just rinse and repeat, man. You oh, know, yeah. I, um, you know, with, with my time as an intern, I, I should say how, how important is networking, right? Because I, I sometimes have noticed that some interns, and I don't know, maybe it's because they're shy of just introducing themselves, but they'll just kind of be in a corner and they won't really like, go over to people and reach out to them like it sounds like that wasn't the case to you but you know to just kind of elaborate a little bit how important is networking and you know what what was the obviously like you know I guess what, what was it like for you networking and have you seen any of that was it difficult for you to do it or was it just kind of like hey like I'm just gonna go in there and let everyone know I'm in the building kind of thing um sorry I, I mean, know I kind of put that in like a couple no of different all ways. good all good no yeah. I know what you're saying I mean you know, it's a balance because, you know, you have to be confident and put yourself out there, but you don't want to act, walk in and act like you own the place because that also drives people the wrong way. You know, it's almost like a freshman on a sports team. You know, you know, again, people don't want you to have too much of a sense of arrival, but you have to balance that with not being intimidated and being confident. So it's, it's kind of a fine line. But, um, you know, the big thing is also – there are all different types of people in sports broadcasting. You know, I've met some people who are, you know, well-known established sports broadcasters who are really cool people. They've been really helpful, you know, get back to me quickly. There are other people, you know, who just think they're too good for you. think you're not worth their time and they're going to blow you off. And, you know, you can't be afraid of people blowing you off. It will happen, mm -hmm. but you know, you just have to shoot your shot, um, you know, and, and put yourself out there and, and not let it bother you when people shoot you down. And like, like for me, for example, people have asked me, you know, like for my podcast, you know, I've had different NFL players on, I've had Emmy award winners, um, major league baseball players. People say, how do you get all of these different guests? But the reality is like, yeah, I've gotten some cool people to come on my show, but I've also gotten shot down by some well-known people as well. And the way I'm able to get, um, some of these cool people is, is not necessarily, I wouldn't say I have a high success rate, uh, you know, as far as the percentage of people I reach out to when I come on my show, it's just, I have a high volume of, of people who I reach out to and, you know, I'm not afraid to, you know, eat shit and fall on my face and get rejected. So I just send out lots and lots of invitations and a fraction of them come on the show and, and that's how I book people. But the fact that I'm able to get guests doesn't mean I don't get shut down by certain people. So, uh, you know, I'd say, again, if you're trying to network in a really competitive industry like this one, just don't be afraid to, to get shot down because it happens as part of the business and you, you just have to be able to take it on the chin. 
Yeah. And, uh, you know, for people listening that don't, you know, understand the business like that, this is one of the most, if not the most competitive industry to break into, to move up into. So why isn't, I mean, obviously, you know, that's why I was asking how important is it to network? And also I'll ask how important is it to have thick skin, right? I mean, both are, I mean, those are two of the most important things in the industry and, you know, broadcasting, it is a really competitive industry. It's a hard field to get into and also an easy field to get into. And that probably doesn't make sense. But what I mean by that is if you don't know the right people, you've got no shot. And, you know, you could send in, I mean, they, a lot of these TV networks and radio stations, they might have like an online application on their website that anyone can fill out. If you fill out an application, they're probably not even going to read it. It goes in a, you know, giant stack of, of applications that they throw in the trash. In order to get an interview, you have to know someone. But, you know, if you know someone, you know, they, they put you in a, a much smaller stack and that's how you get on their radar. And, and the only way you get on the radar, like I said, is, is by networking. And, and some people, you know, you might not be able to cold call them or cold email them, but you might have a mutual contact. That's why you have to dig through, you know, all of your contacts, um, see who knows who, you know, you might meet someone through another person that happens all the time. I mean, also, if you want to network with someone, look through their social media, see who they follow on social media. Do they have any mutual social media contacts? Um, but I mean, sometimes you can meet, you know, high profile people in the most random ways. Um, so yeah. And, um, and I'd say also another big thing is never self reject. You know, there is a lot of rejection in this industry, but never, you should never not apply to something or not reach out to something because you think it's not going to work out or that you're not worthy. You're going to have enough people telling you that you can't afford to be one of those people. So, like I said, even if the odds aren't in your favor, always shoot your shot. Um, and, and the other thing you said about thick skin, it, it kind of, they kind of go hand in hand. It's almost like, I mean, Richard, I partied with you, you know, and I won't embarrass you on your show, but you, you know, you can be a bit of an animal at the bar and you, you're quite the ladies, man. You know, when you're trying to talk to girls at a bar, you can't be, you know, thinking, oh my God, you know, what if they don't want to talk to me and they think I'm a loser and they laugh at me, you know, you have to put yourself out there and, you know, um, as a, you know, big pimp daddy like yourself, I mean, you know how it is. So, uh, you know, I've seen you, I've seen you have some, some interesting nights, which again, I probably shouldn't talk about on your show. But, um, <laughs> as a, as a, as a ma major ladies man, like you, you know how it is. I mean, I, or literally, I mean, literally anything again in any profession or, you know, this, you know, your, your social life or, or whatever, you just have to put yourself out there and, there's so much more, you know, room for progress if you're not afraid to to fail and fall on your face. So, well, I'll tell you what, man. I think that alcohol is more of a ladies' man than myself. But we definitely True. are. We are when when it's safe, when everybody gets vaccinated, we're definitely gonna uh, we're gonna hit the north end and um. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll have so we'll have some more interesting nights for maybe sure. Alcohol is the key to success. Maybe maybe the moral of the story here is uh, that you know when you go into interview for a tv job you just need to get shit-faced the same way you would to talk to a girl maybe that's the secret 
Take a couple to take the maybe, edge off, man. I know you're you're applying to some new uh, media gigs. Maybe just go into your interviews blacked out. Who knows? I, I might. I mean, I seem to do some of my best work when I'm blacked out, as long as I don't end up in jail, right? <laughs> exactly. Oh, man. You have come close a couple times, but anyway, continue. Um, yeah, you know, and, you know, one of the things about your path is that I, it's been unique compared to other people I've met, right? Like, as far as, as far as I know, um, you know, you've done a lot of freelance work, but you've done a lot of freelance work for some big networks like Dirty Water at Nesson. You've done games for ESPN. You've worked for CLNS. Is that, has that been by choice where you've kind of like preferred to kind of do the freelance gig or like, as far as you looking for jobs, were you kind of looking for full-time and then it just sort of ended up into the freelance? Like what has sort of been your sort of, uh, like how have you gone about it post-college? Cause I mean, everyone's um, a different outlet. Yeah, I mean, you know, different approaches work for different people. And, and, and you know, my approach might not be the right approach for someone else, but their, their approach might not be the right approach for me. What I don't like, again, you know, if we have conflicting approaches and you tell me that, my approach doesn't work for you and you don't want to do that. That's fine. But don't knock whether or not it works for me because, you know, only, only I know that. And, you know, with freelancing, for example, um, I've done both full-time and freelance work, but like, what, you know, some of the freelance stuff I've done, you know, I've gone on air for, for Nesson and ESPN and channels like that. And it's like, okay, it's a freelance gig. I'd rather be doing that than working full-time at some local TV station that no one watches, you know, and, and I think there are a lot of misconceptions about private contractors and, and freelancers. Um, and, you know, a lot of people think that if you're doing that type of work, it means you can't get a full-time job, you know, and, and that you start out as a freelancer and work into full-time. I had a full-time television job lined up before I even graduated college. I interviewed for it my senior year and they told me, it was with the local news station, they told me as long as you pass your classes, graduate on time, you start with a full-time job the day you leave college. And I went from that to further on down the road, choosing to leave that and choosing to freelance. So again, you know, the word freelance makes a lot of people nervous, mm -hmm. um, but, and there are definitely challenges that come with it. Um, you know, and, and uh, yeah, there are challenges that come with it, but there are also all kinds of benefits and, and it's not for everyone, but for certain people, it can be a great thing. And, you know, moving forward, I'm interested in both, you know, full-time and freelance opportunities. Um, and, you know, also, it doesn't have to be as, as cut and dry as that. You know, there are also, you know, seasonal jobs. Um, for example, the Massachusetts Pirates of the, uh, the Indoor Football League. You know, I'm going to be sideline reporting for them on Nesson and then also doing a lot of their website content. That's a full-time job, but only while they're in season. So there are so many different ways between seasonal jobs, year-round full-time jobs, freelance work, a mixture of all of them. There are so many different ways you can do it, but it's all about finding what works for you. And Again, freelance isn't for everyone, but it does work for some people. And I think too many people knock it. Yeah, and I, I when I get into the the part specifically about entrepreneurship, I want to kind of get into all of that and how that relates to what you're talking about. But before that, you know, for my audience that doesn't know, uh, I'd like for you to talk about some of the work that you have done, right? Specifically, like the work that you've done for BNN, ESPN, and CNLS. Like, you know, for my audience, like what. What work has Leverball done for these news outlets, you know, just to kind of give them an idea? Yeah, I mean, I did, well, so for ESPN, I did some Ivy League stuff, um, you know, some, uh, some Harvard athletics. There was the uh, Ivy on ESPN channel for a while. 
uh, an ESPN platform strictly for Ivy League sports. Now, you know, the the Ivy League hasn't played any sports since, um, you know, the pandemic began. So that channel's not, you know, operating right now. And I don't know what they're, they're going to be doing moving forward. But I did some ESPN stuff with Harvard. And then I uh, have done stuff on Nesson for the Massachusetts Pirates, um, Major League Rugby, uh, the Futures Collegiate Baseball League, and also the Dirty Water TV show. Um, and then I, I've done, as far as other well-known places, um, I did uh, some play-by-play announcing for the New York Yankees for their area code team as well. Um, I'd say between, um, you know, Nest and ESPN, the Yankees, and Harvard, those are the most well-known places I've worked. But then I've also done um, – stuff with various, you know, high school, college, and pro teams. You know, you mentioned BNN. Um, I've done stuff for Northeast Sports Network, uh, NSN. Um, I first met you uh, calling a game at Tufts University. Um, So, yeah, you know, I've worked all over the place, and, you know, I'm not above any opportunity. Like I said, you know, I've done stuff at various levels, and I've just tried to keep an open mind. And, um, you know, as far as – as far as that's concerned, what has sort of been the environments like? I mean, it sounds like a lot of these gigs for, you know, Nesson, ESPN, Harvard have been freelance. I mean, obviously, you're not working there full time, so you're not really, like, in the building, in the building, per se. But as far as, like, you know, the environment and the setup, is it kind of like the same wherever you go? Or was it? did you feel like when you were freelancing for certain spots, it's like, oh, no, nah, they, they like the way just – I guess the the working situation, the equipment, this is just kind of like the program is just better. And I'm not just saying that by name, but like, you know, there's been outlets where I've gone to, and I'm like, okay, they got the, they got this, they got this, and you know, they got this and they got snacks. Like, is it, is it kind of like that where you go to certain places it's different? Is it? Um, honestly, like, no, yeah. honestly, no, because the thing is people don't realize um, like Nesson, for example, they only hire on your talent for um, the Red Sox and Bruins broadcast. So all the other sports they do, whether it's obscure pro teams, college teams, you're hired by the teams themselves. So you're on the channel, but you're technically an employee of the team, not the network. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not as as high budget or smooth of a broadcast as it would be, you know, when it's fully staffed by Nesson and they're doing Red Sox and Bruins stuff. Um, same thing goes for you know, a lot of the ESPN stuff, like a lot of the college sports you see on like ESPN2, ESPN3, ESPN+, those are home-produced broadcasts. Uh, The college, you know, has their own camera crew. They produce the broadcasts themselves, and they just send ESPN a link to put on their channel. And some of those broadcasts actually can be a shit show. You know, obviously, they're affiliated with big-time brands. Um, My first time I ever went on on Nesson, um, it was uh, a Major League Rugby broadcast. And the uh, producer's walkie-talkie broke. So I was sideline reporting. He had a kid, an intern, who would run from the production truck to me to relay messages and just do 100-yard sprints back and forth. Like, this kid almost had a heart attack. He spent the entire broadcast doing that. And that was my first intro to Nesson. So, and you know what else? Like, even, you know, the highest level when, you know, like I said, Red Sox, um, you know, Bruins, Monday Night Football, the highest levels of – you know, broadcasting on Nesson and ESPN, they still make mistakes at that level. They make mistakes at every level. And broadcasting at every level is still a shit show, especially live broadcasts. Now, um, I feel like I keep teasing the whole entrepreneurship for the discussion. I'll probably, that'll probably be the next question after this. But I think that, you know, with this business, I think, you know, it, I don't know if it's been like, excuse me, like this for you, but 
I think some people on the outside don't realize how difficult the grind really is on the inside. They kind of see you and me or, you know, some famous whatever person on Boston or NBC New York, and they just think we're just basically talking in front of a prompter. But no one realizes how hard, especially being a freelance journalist, when you got to go shoot, write, edit your own stories, make sure the information's correct, uh, the editing, this, that, and the third you know, talk about how difficult and unsexy Hollywood this business really is for those who don't see it from the outside in. Well, I mean, I think people realize it's it's hard in the sense that, like, people realize it's challenging to make it in the industry. People are impressed, you know, if, if you do make it. But what people don't know is that it's not as glamorous as, as people think. You know, people see, you know, a guy like Stephen A. Smith, you know, ESPN pays him $10 million a year. And he's one of the most well-known guys. So they think that everyone in the business makes that type of money. The entry-level pay at ESPN is like minimum wage. So, so there are lots of people you haven't heard of, you know, working at these TV networks who like don't make shit and live with their parents and work side jobs. You know, when I first got into broadcast, I did all kinds of side jobs, like, you know, driving Uber, working at bars, doing all kinds of different random stuff just to, you know, try and keep my head above water. And, and so it's, it's really not, um, you know, not as glamorous as people think. Um, and yeah, it's, it's definitely a grind. Um, and you know, a lot of people want to be broadcasters, but they don't want to, you know, fall on their face and grind and, and do the things necessary, um, and to, to be one. And that's what sets you apart is not your ability to enjoy the fun parts, but your ability to endure the parts that suck. And there are a lot of parts of working in the industry that suck, but, Again, that's what separates you from other people is your ability to just hang in there. And, um, that, you know, honestly, that's a perfect segue into the entrepreneurship part. We can basically kind of get into this whole thing, right? Um, you know, you talk, you were talking before specifically about freelance. I, I feel like this kind of goes into the, the idea of entrepreneurship in general, where I think, I think that makes people nervous not going the traditional nine to five or whatever that eight hour stretch, because as an entrepreneur, you know, the paycheck isn't always guaranteed. You don't have the salary. It's kind of, it's not commission, but it's like, it's not a set schedule. Like you could have three, you could have five gigs in a week and then not have another gig for the next two. Um, like, you know, I've talked to entrepreneurs in the past who've gotten criticized, you know, for saying, hey, you should just get a real job. You know, you're not really working full time and blah, blah, blah. I guess what, you know, you know, sort of address the sort of stigma that you see on freelance and or entrepreneurship. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, there's definitely a stigma for you. There's definitely a stigma. But, you know, for one, you know, a lot of the uh, the. Um, the beliefs that the stigma is founded on are, are not true. Um, and, and also it's not for everyone, but it can work for the right people. So the fact that it doesn't work for someone else doesn't mean they have the right to tell you that it, it can't work for you. And I, I think the biggest misconception though, people say, you know, if you want to go into entertainment, you know, if you want to be on TV or you want to do this or you want to do that, they talk about what a risk you're taking. I don't feel that way because you know, especially risk, like, I'm sorry, a risk you're taking by going freelance or just by going into the business in general? Any of these things, again, whether it's going into a competitive field, freelancing, starting your own business, people talk about what a big risk you're taking, you know, in the corporate world, like if you want to make your own startup, you may have to invest a ton of money. 
and, and, and you know, if your business doesn't work out, you actually end up making a negative amount of money. That's a risk. Like the website, for example, when I started podcasting, the website I published my podcast on costs $8 a month for my membership. How is that a risk? You know, like, you know what I mean? Like, what do I lose if things don't work out? You know, or like, or like, you know, it just all this, all these different things. And it's like, you know, if I, for example, you know, had worked in broadcasting for a little while, done some entry level jobs and then realized that broadcasting wasn't for me, those entry level broadcasting jobs still would have looked good on my resume and helped me transition into another career. I mean, there really isn't that much of risk involved. And it's just funny, like, you know, society has certain expectations for what other people should do with their lives. And, you know, there's so much pressure to, you know, get a nine to five job, get a wife, get a house, start pumping out babies. And if you want to do that with your life, that's awesome. But, you know, like, it's just funny to me, like people look at like entrepreneurship, the entertainment industry, freelance work is such a risk, but then it's like so normalized to get married. What is the divorce rate? Like 40, 50%, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I mean, you know, my parents contributed to that stat. I mean, or I mean, so many, so many major commitments that people make that are just normalized that are risky, but then when it comes to pursuing your passions and shooting your shot, that's considered such a big risk. When, like I said, in today's world, you don't have to spend a bunch of money to get your opportunity. There's more of a democratic system with YouTube and podcasting and all the different outlets for you to showcase your talent without really spending any money. Um, And so I think a lot of the stigmas honestly are bullshit. And I realize my approach is not the appropriate approach for, for everyone. But that doesn't mean it's not the appropriate approach for me or people like me. Now, about your now, before we get kind of deeper into your approach, how much do you think that stigma has to do with um, what I, what I want to say in particular? So, like, yeah, I mean, just like as far as like the nine to five goes, you know, there is an argument where it's like, all right, like you clock in, the money is guaranteed. You clock out. If something goes wrong. You can blame your coworker. You can blame management. You can blame the company. Like there's, there's more factors at play than just you. And at the end of the day, it's sort of like more security. I mean, you could say 401k, all that stuff. And then I think that, you know, kind of going into school and growing up, right? Like we're sort of taught to like, you know, apply for a system, become part of a system. Entrepreneurship is like, it's more the road especially in broadcast media right the road isn't as simple as you know you as far as like maybe like being a teacher or a lawyer where there's like there's an there's an obvious well i should say there's like a there's a clear path right in media you can go into a lot of different directions entrepreneurship you can go in a lot of different directions so there's not as much clear sort of direction like blueprint how much of that do you feel like contributes to it if if at all yeah, but I mean, again, I, I don't un- I entirely agree with that approach that a lot of people have. And again, that approach works for some people. I don't have an issue with other people following that approach. I just have an issue with people acting like that approach is, is the only approach that works. And, you know, yeah, okay, maybe you have whatever, full-time job, salary benefits. But, you know, if you're a freelancer and you work multiple jobs and you lose one job, you still have lots of other options. You're not putting all your eggs in one basket. If you have one full-time job and you know, all your eggs are in that basket and you lose that job, you're fucked. I mean, you know, people have mental breakdowns and go through huge slumps when they lose full-time jobs. So they, you know, again, 
you only have the stability when you're, when you're stable. Think about how many people thought they had solid full-time jobs before the pandemic who are unemployed right now. And, and obviously <laughs> these are, these are extreme circumstances, but again, I think it's a little bit of a misconception that, you know, there's all that stability in a full-time job. And also, you know, if you have a full-time job and you have stability, I mean, I don't understand wanting to be average. You know, I, again, you only live once, um, you know, make the most of your life, pursue the things you want to pursue. Um, for me, you know, the biggest disappointment would not be failing. The biggest disappointment would be, you know, not pursuing what I want to pursue, not pursuing what I'm passionate about, not at least trying to do the things I want to do with my life. And again, if you, if you're just, if your goal is just to, like I said, pay your bills and stay out of everyone's way. I personally don't consider that to be, um, you know, very fulfilling life. Also, the other thing I like about, you know, entrepreneurship is that, you know, you can take credit for the success and you also take ownership for what goes wrong. And you mentioned, you know, in systems, a lot of times people in power use their power to blame things, blame other people for things that are their own fault. That's one of the, that, that's actually a giant pet peeve of mine next to ass kissing, like scapegoating it is a massive pet peeve of mine. And if I do something wrong, I'm not going to blame an intern working under me, some 19 year old kid. I'm going to take that shit on the chin. And so many people in broadcasting and just about every profession are always looking for someone else to blame for their mistakes. And I just, yeah, I mean, I think that's some pretty weak bullshit. And, uh, you know, I don't have much respect for people who handle things like that. Well, I mean, it feels like in the broadcast media, someone's getting canceled every single day. Bro, so anything, we you might... want to hear a you want to hear a scapegoating story? G give it. To I me. I worked for a game uh, for a uh, a minor league hockey team um, as their MC, and the the girl doing um, who was their in game entertainment coordinator literally she had her first day the same day I had my first day. She got her job 48 hours before that, because the woman in her position got a job with a, an NHL team. She got called up to the show. And so this girl was promoted from intern into that role and didn't know what she was doing, which is understandable, but she was so desperate to cover her own ass that at one point during the game, I was the MC, you know, at games when they do a kiss cam and they put everyone on screen and encourage them to kiss. Her idea was for me to take my microphone as the MC and sit next to couples while they're on the kiss cam and talk to my microphone and encourage them to kiss. What? And it was so one of the most awkward. uncomfortable things I've ever done in my life, but I was ordered to do this by my boss. So I'd sit next to couples and be like, Hey, smoocher on the mouth <laughs> on the kiss cam. And literally all the couples I did that to refused to kiss. and just felt uncomfortable, understandably. But again, I did this in my boss's orders. So her boss yelled at her for telling me to do that. And to cover her own ass, she lied and said that she hadn't told me to do that and that I had disobeyed her and done it against her orders, which is a complete lie. And so I got fired. And so my job with that team only lasted one day. So anytime I've been in a situation when there's an intern or someone working below me who I can blame for, it's my fault, I take that shit on the chin. And uh, yeah, I mean, anyone who tries to throw someone under the bus to cover their own ass is a fucking coward in my opinion. <laughs> 
Dude, I'm so sorry you had to go through that, man. It's you all good. No, no, no. I, actually, I need to plug in my laptop so it doesn't die, and then we'll just we'll just resume in one second. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. Take take your time, my friend. Your time is my time. Alrighty. All right, I'm all plugged in. All right. I feel like I can go to this question from there. You know, like how in today's oh, climate? Actually, oh, sorry. Well, we were talking about the thing with the the hockey team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so you were you were saying you're sorry I had to go through that. I'm not because that was so eye opening for me, and that taught me so much about the business. And this happens so often in pro sports and sports broadcasting. And you know that's the other thing you have to keep an eye out for. And you know it's a competitive industry, but the people who some people you know they see the competition industry and they they work harder. Mm -hmm. People who try and stab other people in the back. They're the people who don't have what it takes. They don't have, mm -hmm. you know, the balls or the vagina or whatever to, uh, you know, <laughs> to, to put it eloquently, to make it in the industry. And, and if you have to stab someone in the back, that's not being a competitor. That's not being a hard worker. That's not being a winner. That's that, that means, you know, you're, you're weak and you're, you know, you're a coward and you don't have what it takes to make it. When I see people doing that, I don't see strength. I see weakness. And people like that, they always wash out of the industry. I can tell you so many stories of people who have fucked me over or disrespected me or stabbed me in the back who aren't in broadcasting anymore. That's how those people always end up. So the chicken comes home to roost. You know, it's, um, yeah. and we can kind of, don't worry, we'll, we'll, st we'll still stay in that. We'll, 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 we'll get back to, I want to get back to your path. But before that, I want to talk about how, you know, specifically what you're talking about now, right? You know, cancel culture is at an all-time high right now, right? You're seeing, you're seeing. I mean, television personalities, celebrities is just like losing jobs, you know, losing gigs. You know, whether it's some tweet from ten years well, ago or them. What do you mean by cancel culture, though? So okay, so in this case, right? Like as we're as when we were just taking that break, I just got a notification that Paul Pierce is no longer with uh, ESPN NFL Countdown. Right, and over the weekend, I don't know if you well, guys, NFL count Paul Pierce is a basketball I mean, player. No, not, not NFL count, the NBA countdown. Oh, yeah, so like ESPN, they just removed him from NBA countdown. Right, over the, over the weekend, I mean, dude was basically having like a party on Instagram live, and you know, there were women everywhere. You know, he, he looked like he was drunk, right? It, look, it looked like he was like he basically looked like boozy during quarantine, and so you know, like, I mean, that that's not specifically how it always happens but i've you know I, i've seen this recently where like a lot of like television personalities you know whether they're getting caught saying like the n-word on camera using like a gay slur or something like that like it's you catch them saying something wrong and it's just like boom you know do you feel like that is also influenced as part of like okay like companies trying like if you're a brand and one of your producers says something like that do you feel like how much of that do you feel like contributes to what you're saying basically right now where it's like people in the industry trying to scapegoat each other is that just, or is that kind that's, of that's something different no because that's something different you know if you're being scapegoated you know that's when someone blames you for something that's their fault if you get fired for something that's your fault that's something completely different and people talk a lot about cancel culture but you know there's the debate is cancel culture a thing or do these people deserve to you know, lose their jobs and, and have their reputations torn apart. I mean, you have to, you have to look at it on a case by case basis because yeah, there are examples of, 
Um, you know, people losing their jobs and, and having their images tarnished who, who don't deserve it. But there are also plenty of people who, who, you know, who have gotten in trouble who deserve it. You know, if you're, I mean, you know, if you're yelling, you know, racial slurs or homophobic slurs and you're unwilling to take, you know, accountability for your actions, you know, you deserve to face some type of consequences. So, is cancel culture a thing? Well, it, de- it depends. Maybe in some situations people are, are over punished or are not given a second chance, but some people who have gotten in trouble deserve it. Um, you know, and, and so again, I think you just have to take it on a case by case basis. I, I have sympathy for some people um, who are, like I said, unfairly tarnished or people like to say canceled, but you know, some people who get themselves in trouble and aren't willing to take accountability and take responsibility will cry cancel culture. Um, I don't feel badly for Chris Harrison, the, the bachelor guy. I mean, he, he went on TV and publicly defended racism. Um, I mean, did he expect to not lose his job? I mean, he's an idiot, you know? So again, you have to take on a case by case basis and sometimes it's not fair, but again, sometimes people are too quick to cry cancel culture and, and some of these, you know, punishments are justified. So with that said, would you say that there is there more pressure on TV personalities to, I guess, for lack of a better term, not slip up, right? Like, don't don't let the wrong like in like Chris Harrison basically doubled down on his bigotry, right? Like he 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 yeah. got what he deserved there, in my opinion. But as far as like, I would say in general, like you know, like if you're doing like if you're calling like the top ten ESPN plays in. You know, like, like, in and you, I don't know, you cuss on cam or something like that. Do you feel like, in overall, is there more pressure on the industry now to make sure that like television personalities aren't saying the wrong thing, or is it just kind of like, okay, it's not really cancel culture; it's kind of more like people are just being held more accountable for their actions. Right? Well, I mean, I don't think that. I mean, and there is more pressure, but I, I don't necessarily think that society has become more sensitive. I just think that, you know, with the internet and social media and everything, nothing's a secret. You know, back in the day, people didn't consider it, you know, okay to use racial slurs or homophobic slurs or, or make sexist comments. People didn't consider it okay then either, but you know, there weren't smartphones. You know, you could say something like that and maybe there were rumors that you said it, but someone didn't film it on their smartphone and you know, posted on Instagram and it wasn't viewed by however many people. Or, you know, again, this is, you know, not necessarily in regards to like bigoted comments, but like Johnny Manziel when he was in the NFL got in trouble for partying all the time and he was out getting shit-faced like two nights before he was suiting up in an NFL game at quarterback. You know, guys did stuff like that back in the day, but, you know, people, like I said, there weren't camera phones. Same thing with like Rob Gronkowski, you know, when, when you go out and get hammered back in the day as an NFL player, people aren't filling on their phones and putting it online. So it's, I wouldn't say that there's, I mean, there is more pressure, but I don't necessarily agree with the notion that society is more sensitive. It just with modern technology, it's harder to keep things a secret. Um, and, you know, scandals don't get swept under the rug as much anymore. Mm-hmm. Now uh, I did, I did want to talk about your story with, uh, you know, specifically, you and uh antonio brown <laughs> yeah so let's, let's talk about that so you so antonio brown you know for for those I'm, I'm sure people listen to this know a thing or two about sports but you know i mean antonio brown was like 
the hottest topic, like at, at the dinner table, sports wise, you know, for like about a good two years, not too long ago, you know, going from team to team, blowing up on team owners, such and such. And you actually reached out to him on Instagram and you called him out for what he was doing. And he blocked. No, no, that's not what happened. Oh, uh, I'm sorry. Oh, well, did you see the the pictures and the DMs? I thought I thought I saw, but I, I, I guess I, I must have like that. That that's my bad. I must have not read it right. So you. Oh yeah, no. Me. Well, so he he yeah. actually hit me up. Well, so I had <laughs> you well, I had I had criticized him on Twitter. Okay. And somehow that got back to him. Um, so feel free to like, yeah. Give us the so whole I, story now. Give us the whole well, story. So so I had criticized him on Twitter, and somehow that got back to him. So he blocked me on Twitter, and then Did like you add him. Or just comment on like his no 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 I mean you can see my yeah. profile's public you can you know anyone can see it but um but yeah he got back to him he blocked me on Twitter then like a month later he looked me up on Instagram and DM me out of nowhere um but it all started do you remember his incident with his uh baby mama yeah yeah that's that's when he got signed with the with with, with the Patriots right no this was after he got kicked off the pitch so he said he's had a f- multiple incidents he said multiple women press sexual misconduct charges against him he's done a lot of really stupid shit um but this is after he got kicked off the patriots when he was a free agent mm-hmm. his uh one of his baby mamas showed up at his house and tried to drive his kids to school in one of his cars because he didn't take his kids to school and so he flipped out and he we all, we know this happened because he filmed it on his on Instagram live on his phone and broadcast everyone. And he said, because she tried to what was it a Bentley? She tried to drive the kids to school in Bentley, and he goes, "You don't drive Bentleys. You don't live that life. You broke bitch." And then he um, in front of their kids, and then he threw a bag of uh, penis shaped gummy bears at her. And then the which first of all like. If I'm angry at someone, I want to throw food at them. Like I have like oranges and like protein bars and like bottles of water. Like who keeps penis shaped candy just laying around their house in case they get into an altercation? But um, I guess he was well prepared. So he, wait, hold on. Wasn't it a bag of dicks? It was a yeah, bag. Of it was a bag of penis shaped gummy bears. Yes, and he said, he said, eat a bag of dicks, you broke bitch. And then they filmed all this on Instagram Live. And then the police, someone called the cops. The police came to his house and he challenged the police to fight him on Instagram Live. And so I wrote on Twitter, like, really talented player, but like, stop giving pass for being an asshole just because he's good. Because it was disappointing to me how many Patriots players or Patriots fans and players actually, you know, defended him, um, you know, when in his brief time with the Patriots with some of the bullshit he was involved in, um, you know, and he ended up getting kicked off the Patriots because initially when the two women pressed sexual misconduct charges against him, the Patriots stood by him, but then he sent one of the women threatening test text messages um, and had found pictures of her children and sent, you know, said, I know who your kids are and made comments about how they were wearing clothes that weren't particularly nice um, and how, you know, she must be poor. And so when that happened, it was considered, you know, intimidating, um, some, I don't know what the exact legal term is. Basically he was trying to intimidate someone who was pressing charges against him, uh, which is very illegal. And so he was kicked off the team. People, Pats fans, players defended him. Tom Brady went to bat for him, which I didn't agree with. Belichick tried to cover his ass. And so again, that's why I wrote a thing on Twitter, like stop covering this guy's ass. He's an, you know, he's not a good guy. 
Somehow it got back to him, blocked me on Twitter. Then a month later, DM me on Instagram and told me to suck his dick. <laughs> and so then I DM'd him back and basically told him he was a dumbass. And then when I DM'd him that, he blocked me. But then I actually like, this was like last year, but like a month ago, I um, invited him to come on my show for a couples therapy session to work through our, our problems. But he hasn't gotten back to me. He says, oh, that's actually not even my favorite uh, former NFL player Instagram beef. Um, I've, my, my favorite was definitely Brian Erlacher. Can I hear it? Yeah, I mean, if, you, if you're comfortable sharing, I love to hear well, did it. You, did you see, I posted it on Instagram. Did, did you see it? When did you post that one? Well, so Brian Erlacher, I wrote some stuff on, on Instagram during election season about, um, you know, how, uh, you know, how I was volunteering for the Biden campaign and some things criticizing Trump. I stand by everything I said. Mm -hmm. um, thank God our country is not run by that orange sack of turd anymore. But anyway, I expressed some, <laughs> to put it eloquently, I expressed some of my opinions on social media and the reaction was mixed. You know, some people were, were on board with that. They, they liked the things I was saying. Uh, some people said, you know, we agree, but you work in sports, so stick to sports, which I don't agree with that approach at all. You know, regardless of my job title, I'm a human being and a citizen and a voter, and I'm allowed to have opinions and it's within my rights to express them. But, um, you know, people were, some people said, you know, we agree with what you're saying. We don't want to hear it from you. But then there were also some, you know, Trump supporters who criticized me. I had this random Trump supporter DM me and tell me he wanted to spit on me. But the most high profile random guy, no idea who the fuck he was, but the most high profile guy who reached out to me was, uh, was Brian Erlacher. He was a big time Trump supporter. Um, Brian Erlacher, he was just a fucking meathead. Like you know, he was a hall of fame player for the bears, but he, he contributes nothing to society beyond playing football. So like, since he's gotten out of the league, he's been kind of bored. Um, he said some stuff criticizing the black lives matter movement. I don't know if you heard about that. He wrote, uh, something on social media falsely accusing Jacob Blake of being wanted on rape charges and carrying a knife when the police shot him. And I don't know if you've seen that video. He's literally shot in the back while he's walking away. Um, so Brian Erlecker's pissed a lot of people off, but he DM'd me and asked me to uh, take down some of my anti-Trump posts. Again, similar to Antonio Brown. I don't know how the fuck he found out about me, but, um, but yeah, but then anyway, on uh, the day that Biden officially won the election, I posted a bunch of stuff and Brian Erlacher uh, DM'd me and said that the election had been stolen and the results would, uh, would be overturned and that Trump was still a president. And so I DM'd him and I, I said that, uh, you know, I said if Trump was still the president, his old ass was still in the NFL. And so then he blocked me after I did that. And then on inauguration day, I uh, made a public, similar to Antonio Brown, someone I had beef with in the past, I made a public invitation to Brian Erlacher on social media to come on my show now that Biden had been inaugurated and admit that he was wrong. The election, uh, the election results um, were not overturned, that Biden was president. My exact words were, Brian is invited to come on my show, um, admit that he was wrong, and admit that he's a fucking moron. And like Antonio Brown, he has not taken me up on the offer to come on my show, so... I got to give you credit, man, because you are, you know, willing to let these guys come on the air, you know, fa you know, face to face, you know, o over the, uh, you know, over an interview 
That, but a lot of them aren't willing to. They they yeah. talk a big game and they're a bunch of sackless little bitches. It's crazy because, like, you know, you got a lot of athletes these days now who they're getting exposed, you know, whether it's like, I mean, for example, like a couple of days ago, right, like Kevin Durant's beef with Michael Rappaport. I mean, like, were, like, were you surprised? I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm sure, like, were, were you surprised that Antonio Brown and Brian Erlacher were, like, were like targeting you like 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 that, that that's just I you know it's I mean like yeah what was that like I mean were you surprised or were you kind of like well you I mean these guys at the end of the day these guys are human so they're gonna you know they're gonna act uh, like human beings I don't know I mean you know they're they're, they're both guys are used to throwing their weight around and, and getting away with it and they're not used to people clapping back at them but um you know a lot of times I don't mean necessarily with those specific guys but you know the guys who throw the weight, their weight around the most and try to act the toughest. You know, usually if you call them out on their shit, they're usually the quickest to back down. It's usually an act. And like I said, that's not just with those guys, but people who act that way in general. And in their case, you know, they're high profile guys in the football world. So they, they try and capitalize on that when they're, you know, like I said, trying to throw their weight around. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's like when you're, when, when you get to that level, right. I mean, you basically been a part of the 1% of the world your entire life. You were the best athlete in high school, the best athlete in college. Everybody wanted Not necessarily to- though, cuz some of those guys they were late bloomers. Like they actually weren't the best athlete growing up and then they had like a 6-inch 6-inch growth spurt, you know, their junior year of high school or something. You know, not all of those guys were the man growing up. You know, they eventually became the man, but they developed at different rates. That's that. That's true. Cause like you're right. Cause uh, wasn't Antonio Brown? I believe was a six, a six or seventh round. Yeah, draft or like you know Tom Brady, late round draft. Yeah. Tons of guys. Yeah, yeah. or guys. You know they don't get recruited coming out of high school, so they go to JUCO in order to you know play a year or two at, at junior college before they get a D1 scholarship. Then they become NFL stars. I mean, guys develop at different rates, but at, at some point along the line, you know they have success. And some guys, you know, they they don't let it get to their head. They take it in stride. Other guys you know, become a little bit entitled. You know, uh, I mean, you you basically kind of address most of this, but, you know, as far as, you know, you being a sports broadcaster, right, and your brand, right, like that has kind of been a battle, I think, for broadcasters, especially in recent years, about, you know, speaking out, whether that's politics or just real issues in society and people telling you, you know, stick to sports or stick to that, some people, some some broadcasters, they don't speak out because they're afraid it's going to hurt their brand. You know, whether that be right. sponsors or job opportunities. It's you know, it sounds like you know. Part of, I, I apologize for missing some of those posts, but it sounds like you know you're not one of those people who's going to hold his tongue when it comes to issues in our society. Yeah, um, I mean, there are there are times to take the high road, but mm-hmm. you know, if you're strongly opposed to something, you should use your platform to to make a difference and. You know, I mean, at the end of the day, if it costs me a few bucks in career earnings, um, it's worth it if it's for the right causes. You know, uh, I, I've had different people tell me, you know, when I was posting stuff about, you know, justice for George Floyd and, um, you know, posting about how I felt like what happened to him was wrong, et cetera. People saying, you know, don't polarize your brand. Don't talk about that. You know, if if fewer people want to watch my show because of that, that's fine. If I lose a few dollars because the KKK doesn't want, want to watch my show, that's fine. I don't want their money. Fuck them. You know, at the end of the day, I'm going to stick up for what I believe in. So Not that's kind of how I approach things. Yeah, I mean, you know, 
That's powerful, man. And uh, I, you know, for you, and now we can get back to you as an entrepreneur. It's, it would sound like, you know, if I'm, if I heard you right. So when you did graduate college, you were working a full-time broadcast gig, but over time you transitioned into freelance. Well, I've done both. Um, yeah. Like now I do a mixture of full-time work, um, you know, and freelance work. You know, I, I currently do, um, you know, seasonal full-time jobs. And then I have certain months out of the year when I freelance and I intentionally set it up that way. But yeah, my first job out of college, um, you know, was a full-time job. And then I, like I said, for a little while, transitioned into uh, full-time freelancing. Now I do a mixture of both full-time work and freelance work. But the reason I brought that up was that, you know, like I said, some people think that if you freelance, it means you can't get a full-time job. I got a full-time job first before I started freelancing. And I chose to leave that job um, to pursue freelancing. You know, I didn't start freelancing after, you know, they cut me or anything like that. Um, and like I said, it's one of the, the misconceptions. And yeah, you know, uh, to dive deeper into that, like, I guess, you know, for you, what, what, what is it that you really enjoy about freelance, right? Like talk to me about some of the stuff that you really enjoy about freelance and things that some people might not see that you can explain right now. Like, no, this is, this is actually like, this is actually really cool. Um, you know, talk about your experience as a freelancer and like why, you know, what you've enjoyed about that and what someone might not see about it that, you know, is, is really cool and enjoyable. Uh, various things. I mean, for one, you know, that's how you get your foot in the door, the door with network TV. You know, it takes years and years and years to get a full-time job at a network TV station, but you know, right out of college, you can do freelance broadcasts on, you know, Nesson and, and ESPN and places like that. So it's, it's a loophole to get on the most selective TV networks. Um, and also, you know, you have a lot more flexibility to kind of do your thing. You get to be your own person. Um, you know, you don't have to ask permission, as often before you do things, you just do what you think is right. And also, you know, you have more control financially over, sure, maybe you don't have as steady of a stream of income, but, you know, you negotiate your own rates as a freelancer entrepreneur. And, you know, in the TV business, often, you know, you, you, if you're working for a network, you know, they make a profit and they give you a percentage and you have to negotiate with them. And that can be very shady. And, you know, a lot of people in broadcasting get ripped off and, um, you know, underpaid. Um, you know, when you're a freelancer, yeah, you have more responsibility and less stability, but you also have more control um, and, and you're your own boss. Well, yeah, and that's the other thing, too. When you said it earlier, like, you know, entry level jobs and broadcast media, I mean, you're basically... You're not, you, you might not even, you're not making enough to pay the bills. Like we, we've heard these stories all the time. This person, like you said, had to pay them to work. You know, they, they had to work full time and wait tables afterwards. Like you're basically getting paid dog shit in the beginning and you got to basically, you know, power through and grind until you get your second or third job or, you know, hopefully catch that break. And in this business, there's so many, it's like a web, like it's not necessarily boom, 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 boom. You can go here and then kind of go side. It's, Exactly. There's, there's a lot of nuance in this business compared to other businesses. Um, you know, and it sounds like freelance is something that has uh, worked out well for you. You're enjoying it and, you know, you're seeing the positives in it. Um, you know, you, now we can talk more, you specifically, you have started a podcast, I believe it was recently, like last year, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, yeah I'm doing a couple podcasts now. Yeah. I have... Uh, my own personal podcast, The Lever Ball Show. Uh, I've done that for a while. And I'm launching a second podcast uh, with uh, Carlos Dansby. Uh, football fans may remember him. He played for 13 years in the NFL, mostly with uh, the Arizona Cardinals. 
Um, he, he also uh, bounced around the league, uh, played on a couple other teams, um, the uh, uh, Dolphins, Bengals, and Browns at different points. But like I said, mostly with the Arizona Cardinals. Um, and he was a guest on my podcast, The Lever Ball Show, and then we stayed in touch after that. And he said, you know, I've always wanted to, to get into podcasting, and I pitched the idea to him of co-hosting one together. And so that actually uh, launches in a, a couple of weeks, and uh, we have a name picked out. We have some upcoming guests, but I can't give any of that away right now, but uh, everyone stay tuned. I got you. We'll definitely stay tuned. And before this ends, I'm going to give you a chance to, you know, let people know where to find you. We let, Let's backtrack for a second, talk about your first podcast. So, like, you know, what made – I mean, I mean, this probably can sound obvious to some people, but, like, what made you decide to start a podcast? I mean, it, you know, it's just – with podcasts, it's – um you know, it's a way to get extra reps, you know, when you're not on TV or the radio and you have total control. Um, you know, you don't have to follow some agenda that a TV network or a radio station has for you. Um, you're your own boss. You get to come up with your own content, um, you know, pick your own guests, etc. And it really is what you make of it. If you don't put the effort into it and you, you know, you don't hustle, it's probably not going to go anywhere. But if you go about it the right way, promote it the right way, network, get high profile guests, it can be awesome. Um, and so, and, you know, obviously during the pandemic, when some of my TV broadcasts were canceled, I got started podcasting more, you know, I did, I, you know, did my podcast before the pandemic, but, um, like I said, when my TV schedule slowed down a little bit because of the pandemic, I started doing extra podcast episodes and that was my way of staying busy and staying sane, which, you know, during 2020 into 2021, it was a very, very strange time. And. Uh, a lot of people were were losing their minds a little bit, and that was my way of of not not doing so. Yeah, and I mean, I, I guess I guess we can get into that for a sec. Um, you know, broadcasting wise, how, how tough was that for you during the pandemic? And people you um, know, that were, um, you know, people that you're you're cool with who were also working in the broadcasting field. Yeah, I mean, I you know, I know some people who lost their jobs, um, and you know, had a really tough stretch. I mean. You know, obviously the pandemic was a challenge for everyone. I would say I had it a lot easier than a lot of people out there. You know, no one, um, you know, no one I knew died from COVID. Um, yeah, you know, my work schedule was slower, um, but, you know, I didn't miss out on any major uh, career opportunities or, or huge breaks. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it wasn't fun, you know, staying indoors all the time, not seeing friends, but compared to what a lot of people have been through with the pandemic, you know, people lost loved ones, lost permanently lost their jobs, et cetera. Um, it could have been a lot, a lot worse for me. And I just feel badly for, you know, the people who didn't have it easy and, and really, you know, uh, you know, struggled and, and continue to struggle. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, I mean, for, first and foremost, I'm, I'm glad, you know, no one close to you came down with COVID and not a serious illness. It's unfortunate that some of the people, you know, it's unfortunate in general that, so many people have lost their jobs and their livelihoods. Yeah. Basically on the Two people side. I knew got COVID, but they were both young people who were healthy. So, like, they got through it. They were fine. Like, I didn't have, you know, grandparents or relatives with health issues who got it. Like I said, no one I knew uh, died from COVID. I had, um, like, at the beginning of the pandemic, like, early, early on, a broadcast producer I work with uh, tested positive for COVID. And I had seen him at a broadcast, like, around that time. Mm -hmm. Um, so I had to go and get tested in quarantine. I ended up testing negative. And then, uh, a few months after that, a girl I was dating at the time got COVID 
Um, and uh, yeah, so again, um, you know, because the girl's dating at the time, I was seeing her all the time. I went and got tested, I tested negative, um, but they said because I've been around her, I still had to quarantine. So I did like a 10 day quarantine and then got tested again, tested negative again, and they released me back into society, released me from house arrest. So I had two different false alarms when people I knew um, had COVID, I had to get tested, but I tested negative both times. And like I said, both of those people, uh, the girl I was dating at the time and my coworker were both young people around my age, you know, who didn't have any serious health issues. So fortunately they both ended up being okay. Um, so that was really my only experience personally with COVID, but you know, I know people whose grandparents died from COVID or, you know, they had maybe a relative who was younger, but had a preexisting condition. So they had to be super careful. Um, you know, I had it pretty easy compared to what a lot of people went through. Yeah, like I had an uncle who, you know, he had COVID and he had it real bad. I had a, a brother-in-law who, uh, he got COVID and my mother and my mother-in-law as well. They had it pretty bad. You know, they both, they all recovered from it, but it's, you know, older than us, like we're at least 10 years. So, you know, like it was, two of them are like twice our age. So, you know, like they- yeah, And what's the, what's the death total? In the United States, yeah. I mean, over five hundred thousand now. Yeah, I mean, right, like, right, like, right when Biden was inaugurated, that was like the big number, like going into this man's inauguration. Yeah, we're talking five. You know what's? People. You know what's crazy to me? Um, this many people have died. You know, and so many people have been fucked over, and yet there's still people out there who try to deny that COVID exists and won't wear masks and won't get the vaccine. And I mean, this has opened our eyes about how fucking stupid some people in our country are well you know it it's unfortunate because i do have a family member who in particular like he he's like a conspiracy theorist so it's just like like i, I have those family members who still doubt whether COVID is real and i'm like dude like you literally saw what just happened but it's, it's not a, like, like it's, it's not a topic of debate exactly scientific facts, or scientific facts we can debate all day whether or not certain candidates are better than others scientific facts or scientific facts i mean right. i mean if, if covid doesn't exist i mean are ufos going to come conquer our planet in the next couple of months i mean what i mean some people are just not in touch with reality yeah i mean it's it's like when your own mother and your own brother catch it and you're still saying it's fake and you don't want to get tested and you don't want to get vaccinated. It's like, dude, like, at, like at, at this point, you're a conspiracy theorist, like times 10. Like, I mean, that's being generous. Conspiracy. Yeah, I mean, you're at this I, point, I, you're I, a I, fucking I moron. Yeah. At that point, like, <laughs> yeah, you know, it, it's crazy. Cause like, I just got my dad vaccinated. He's got a second one in a couple of weeks. My mom just signed up to get hers, but it's like one of those things where it's like, you got those family members where you're like, dude, like I told my mom, I'm like, listen, I'm gonna tell such and such that dad got vaccinated and you're getting it. Cause it's like, yo, like you're not a fool for saying I trust science. Like if these people are looking at <laughs> you the other way and they wanna tell you that you're crazy because you know, some YouTube, some YouTube video got taken down for saying that you shouldn't get the vaccine. It's like, all right, man, like you you can do that on your side of the street, but like like exactly this is where i draw the line man if you, yeah. if you don't if you don't want to follow protocol fine like you stay six feet away from me plus although but i also though i don't agree with the approach where you know some people say well i want to wear a mask but it's a personal choice of other people don't want to i disagree with that because mm -hmm. by not wearing a mask you're not just 
being foolish and putting yourself at risk, you also put other people at risk. Saying that not wearing a mask is a personal choice is like saying that driving shit face is a personal choice. It's, I, I, not only do I want to follow protocol myself, but I don't agree with the take that some people have that it's within everyone's rights to handle it how they want. That That's not true. That's part of why there have been so many cases and so much, you know, spreading of the virus and so many deaths, um, you know, are, are because of the people who, you know, don't follow the protocol and not only put themselves at risk, but, but put other people at risk. People so. cutting like a hole in the mouth so in the mouth so they can breathe through their mouth. It's like, dude, why even wear the mask at that point? Like, they're, they're just covering. deliberately trying to piss people off. There was a game today. Uh, ESPN posted pictures of it. I think it was in Texas. Mm-hmm. Like the stadium is literally full. We're talking like 40 plus thousand people. You know, like you could see so many people weren't even wearing a mask. It's like, it's like, dude. Like, it's like fucking Texas, man. It's like, it, 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 it's just insane. Makes me glad I live in Massachusetts. Yeah, and it's crazy because I, 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 saw, I saw this survey. I, I don't remember what source it was from, but it was saying how, like, Massachusetts has been, like, the 30th most, the 30th safest place to live. I was like, I was like, you, like you 30 out of 50? Come on, I would have thought, you know, like, I mean, yeah. I, again, I, I, I didn't click on the article, so I don't know where, like, I don't know. Who, how many people they surveyed or this and that, but I was like, yo, if there's any truth to that, like, come, like yeah, I'm disappointed. Like, I would think we'd be, you know, the upper half, if not like top 10, top 15. Mm. But, um, yeah, man, I uh, I feel like we covered a lot of stuff. I'm getting, I'm getting nervous. I feel like we're covering everything, but, um, well, oh, well, oh, so, so let, let me get into a little more into your first podcast before we get into the second one with, with Carlos Dansby. So, I mean, like you've said, you've had professional athletes, you've had award-winning professional journalists, you've had radio personalities. You know, I, I saw obviously in your bio that, you know, uh, you know, you're not just covering sports, there's sort of more entertainment. Has that been intentional or did it just sort of like, like kind of turn out that way where you ended up having this guest? It sounds like you've been choosing your guests, but is it like, is it kind of primarily sports where you're mixing some entertainment? Sort yeah, of like- well, I, I listed as a sports news and entertainment podcast. It's mostly people in the sports world, whether it's professional athletes or broadcasters or whoever. Uh, the reason I listed as a sports uh, news and entertainment podcast and not just sports is because, you know, I want to keep it open-ended. And while most of the people I interview are people in sports, you know, I've had, you know, musicians, actors, um, I haven't interviewed any politicians on my podcast. I have interviewed uh, a couple of local politicians on TV. Um, one of my favorite interviews I did was with uh, Boston's mayor at the time, Marty Walsh, who's now uh, taken over, yeah, as our nation's labor secretary. Um, I also got to interview Governor Baker on TV. But really, anyone who's an interesting interview and has things that they're, they're passionate about and, and has a lot to say, I want to talk to. Um, and so... Um, yeah, I listed as sports news and entertainment because most of the people, like I said, are, are in sports. Um, but I, you know, I've had some people, like I said, outside of, uh, sports, you know, who I've done interviews with also, I mean, some of the athletes I have on the podcast, you know, yeah, I talked about their sports careers. We also talk about other topics outside of sports and I just really want to leave it open-ended, um, you know, basically we can talk about whatever we think is the most interesting and whatever we think is the most impactful. And that's kind of the point of doing a podcast. You know, when you're on TV or the radio that there's kind of an agenda you need to follow. When you do a podcast, you can be creative, you can be yourself, you can kind of do your thing. Hence why I leave it open-ended. 
Yeah, and it's cool because you get to learn about, you know, a lot about who these people are outside of the sport, you know, what their hobbies are, what they're interested in doing. You know, you know, for example, like your, your podcast with Dansby, it sounds like he always kind of wanted to get into uh, podcasting. And, you know, now it sounds like you guys are about to start something. You've also got a couple sponsors uh, for the podcast you have right now. Um that you know that that that's pretty cool. Like what what no, I, I know I know one of them is uh is a barber shop. Is that is that typically where you go to to get your haircuts? Yeah, well that's um you know, I have a few different sponsors I've worked with for my show. Um you know, I've uh I've um done, you know, some stuff with a, a gym, a, a barber shop, a real estate company. Um, you know, and I've had sponsors that have paid me different rates, but then I've also um, you know, some of my sponsors, in addition to like paying me a rate, they'll also give me business credit. So like, for example, um, you know, the barber shop. in addition to the package we have, they also cut my hair, uh, for free. And, um, you know, I'll get some free training sessions at the gym as part of the sponsorship deal. Um, and so, you know, you can barter, you know, you can, you know, obviously get paid a certain amount, but you can also trade sponsorship for certain things, whether it's, you know, haircuts or, or workout classes or whatever. So, um, I've done all of that. I'm also doing a little bit of promotion on my social media accounts for uh, Grind Oral Care, a toothpaste brand. Um, there, that toothpaste brand was actually launched by uh, Marcus Ogden, who's a, uh, a uh, former uh, NFL player. Um, I had him as a guest on my podcast a while back, and then when he launched his toothpaste brand, he hit me up about that. Um, and then I'm also, you know, in the process of doing research on, uh, some new sponsors for the, uh, you know, podcast that I'm launching with Carlos. All right. So now I guess before we transition into some of our pro sports teams, um, you know, what advice would you give to someone who is in college interested in, you know, getting into the industry, whether it's full-time, freelance, anything of that nature? Like, what advice would you give to someone young just starting out? Um, I mean, I would say just, uh, you know, find your niche. And, um, you know, you have to find it yourself. Don't let people uh, force you in any direction. And, and don't let people tell you that your goals aren't realistic. You know, at the end of the day, you may not succeed, but find that out on your own. Shoot your shot and find that out on your own. Don't let people you know, set limits for you right off the bat, especially people who don't know what they're talking about and aren't really qualified to be giving you advice. <laughs> um, but yeah, but I mean, um, and I'd say also, like I said, just network, uh, shoot your shot, uh, meet as many people as you can and just try and maximize every opportunity that comes your way. Yeah. I mean, it's crazy, man. You got one podcast right now. It sounds like, I mean, you got a second one on the way with Dan's, but you're going you're gonna to have a lot on your plate coming up, man. Yeah, I'd love to absolutely. ask you what's going to be different about it, but obviously, right, you know, you're keeping that under wraps, and I'll, and I'll respect that. Yeah. Um, yeah, man, it's, uh, you know, now, uh, now, now I feel like we can transition into kind of our local, uh, you know, our, our, our local Boston sports teams. So, you know, the Patriots went seven and nine last year. We know what happened. COVID, Cam Newton missed the playoffs. What the hell happened? Um, I mean, <laughs> I mean, well, I mean, a lot of factors. Um, I mean, it was a rebuilding year. Um, I think Belichick knew they wouldn't be as good last season without Brady, but he wasn't thinking about last season. He was thinking about the future. 
and, and taking the next step and um, setting things up for the long run. Um, and, you know, people, you know, people talk about, you know, how Brady won a Super Bowl in his first year away from the Patriots, but I think Belichick still believes in the long run he can outlast Brady um, and, you know, win Super Bowls without him. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, last year, you know, they didn't really have a quarterback. They, for most of the offseason, it looked like Brian Hoyer and Jared Stidham were their only options at quarterback. And then, um, you know, at the end of the offseason, they got Cam Newton. He didn't really have enough time to, um, you know, get ready for the season. Uh, then he got COVID early on in the season. And after that, just went straight downhill. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, the quarterback play was an issue. They didn't have many weapons. They have upgraded in a lot of their offensive skill positions, but they have yet to upgrade a quarterback. So um, moving forward, we'll see what happens. The other issue last season, you know, defensively, they had a lot of key guys opt out because of COVID. So there were all kinds of different factors that, that went into it. But, you know, honestly, it could have ended up being a lot worse than seven and nine. It could have been a lot uglier. So do you think this was more, I mean, obviously Brady leaving was a huge impact, but do you think Belichick expected you know, to, to be below 500 and not make the playoffs. Like, in, in your – from what you – from what you believe, do you feel like it was sort of like a bad situation that got worse out of his control? Or do you feel like he kind of – yes, he's playing for the long term, but he didn't expect to sort of hit the bar that low? Um, I don't think he even thinks about it that way. You know, he – I don't think, you know, with a guy like him, he's, he's so detail oriented. Like, you know, he just thinks about not even necessarily the results, but the steps that go into, um, you know, reaching the results and, and achieving certain things. And again, he just has the big picture in mind. Um, and um, I don't think he had a set number of wins he expected to get last season. I think he knew it was a rebuilding year and um, he prioritized the future over last season. Um, Again, I think the team does have a bright future moving forward if they can figure out what they're going to do, going to do at quarterback and, and figure out a long-term option. And, you know, let's remember, for most of the offseason, people thought Jared Stidham would be the Patriots' starting quarterback. They got Cam Newton at the end of the offseason. On opening day, they went with Cam Newton as starter. Brian Hoyer is the number two quarterback. Jared Stidham, the number three quarterback, not even dressed for the game. Um, so... You know, in, in just a, such a short period of time, Jared Stidham, um, you know, went from being the starter, projected starter to third string quarterback and not even getting a game day jersey. So who knows? There could be a move made at quarterback later in the offseason, maybe bringing in Jimmy G or someone else. Um, or, or maybe they go for a QB in the draft. It'll be interesting to see if maybe they try to trade up. Well, that, that aspect right there is what makes me nervous because I'm like, okay, how did the guy who was supposed to be the starter – kind of get fizzled out at the 11th hour like is that just because you were that impressed with cam or was it because no yeah i mean cam played like crap all season no it's because belichick has no confidence in him and the biggest argument for why belichick has no confidence in him is no matter how badly cam sucked down the stretch they didn't give cinema a shot when they're eliminated from playoff contention they had nothing to play for they didn't give cinema a shot i mean cinema doesn't have a future in new england and that doesn't mean, you know, that doesn't mean he doesn't have a future in the NFL. He could succeed somewhere else, but for whatever reason, Belichick doesn't want him on the field. Belichick doesn't believe in him. So the Pats have made some big moves this offseason. <coughs> you know, they've spent money. Obviously, some of the guys you said opted out might be coming back. 
as of right now, the quarterback situation is still up in the air, right? They re-signed Cam Newton. The draft's coming up. Jimmy G, you know, there's talks of Jimmy G coming here. What do you feel like, is this year the year where they're kind of, if last season was the rebuilding year, is this the comeback year? And I don't mean comeback as far as, like, they go to the Super Bowl, the AFC Championship game, but is this the season where, like, Belichick's like, okay, like, I'm putting my foot back on the gas. We're making a run. I mean, I think they're going to make progress from last season. I think it'll be better than last season. But I think it remains to be seen how much better. Um, I think there are a lot of factors that will go into it. And I also think, you know, from now to the start of the season, a lot could change as far as, you know, the draft, trades, free agency, et cetera. Um, their roster could look completely different at the beginning of the season than it does now. So I think it really – I think things will improve, but it remains to be seen to, to what degree. So, yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll just have to let it ride out. You just stay tuned. Okay, I like that. All right. Well, you know, the, I mean, the second team hasn't had the type of success the Patriots have had in a long time, that being our Boston Celtics. Uh, I believe as of right now, they're kind of like at the bottom of like the one through eight in the Eastern Conference. They're probably either at 500 or still just a little bit before that. They're kind of right in that 500 area. I mean, you know, what's going on with them? Like, why is it that, how is it that, so going back to last postseason, right, they got upset by Miami. And then this season, you know, they're basically at the bottom of the playoff contention what's going on with this team? Is it the coach? Is it the players? Is it the general manager? Like, why Why are we basically hovering around eighth place right now? With the, you know, with the Pats as far as... No, no, I'm sorry, the Celtics, the Celtics. Oh. <laughs> sorry, well, sorry about can, that. Can you re-ask the question? We'll, yeah, we'll yeah, so, um, you know, last I checked, which is probably like a couple of days ago, mm-hmm. um, you know, they were, they, they were below 500, basically kind of, you know, sitting at that seventh, eighth spot in the Eastern Conference. And this is going back to last postseason where they got upset by Miami in six games. They just – what's going on with them? Like, they're – I don't – why are they why, why are they not playing up to potential right now? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, a number of factors. I mean, it, again, it's all about consistency and – you know, I think the weird year, uh, you know, weird past year or so has affected them with, you know, going into the bubble and, and the delay in, the, in the, their season. And I think they're just still trying to find a, a rhythm. I mean, I think they're in good hands with, with Brad Stevens. I think he is their their coach for the long haul. Um, but they need to, you know, find an identity with their roster and, and figure out who their core guys are. Um, but – you know, again, it's similar to the the Patriots. I think with both the Celtics and the Patriots, they're teams that have maybe gone through some rough, rough stretches, but, you know, have a lot of potential and room to improve. But when you see a team like Philadelphia, Doc Rivers comes in there first year, and they're basically top two, top three in the Eastern Conference. You've got teams like Phoenix, who basically took all the momentum from the bubble last year and are, like, top four in the West. Why is it that this team is sort of still in this situation where – we're not sure if Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum are the guys that are going to lead us to the top. Is Marcus Smart sort of the long-term number three guy? Is Brad Stevens really the coach? It sounds like you've got a lot of faith in Brad Stevens. So what do you, what do you say, to, I would say, to the, the narrative or the conversation that he's not getting through 
to these guys that he struggles to coach ego guys. Do you, do you buy into that? Or do you just, do you think, do you think there's other factors at play? It's also, you know, some of these guys, you know, for Jason Tater, for example, he's still young, you know, they're not just thinking about what he can do now. Um, they're thinking about his long-term potential and, with guys like that, they give them a little more room for air and cut them a little more slack, but it can't be unlimited. And I think they need to find that happy medium with, with Tatum and other young guys who's saying, okay, you know, we believe in you for the future. We've invested a lot in you, but, you know, we need to hold you accountable to some degree. And, again, I think it's all about, um, you know, coming up with more of a, a consistent plan uh, for what they want to do with some of these young guys and, and with their roster moving forward. Um, but again, I think a lot can change over time. I think, um, you know, it's a boring answer, but, um, you know, I think they just need to, like I said, let things ride out. And, and I think some of these things will figure themselves out. Well, then I think the biggest question then is, do, should we as fans trust management as far as they'll figure this thing out? Right. It might not look pretty right now, but these guys are capable of figuring it out and they will figure it out. Uh, well, I mean, trust that they'll either do the job or they're gone. You know, uh, things will, well, that's what I mean by things will figure themselves out. If they can't right. figure it out, they'll be gone. So, um, you know, there, there's only, you don't have unlimited time in the world of professional basketball or any pro sports. So, um, yeah, it, it, you know, if the guys, calling the shots uh, can't figure it out within the next, uh, you know, season or two, they're going to be gone. And, and maybe the, the solution is just a more of a restructuring of the Celtics or a rebuilding, but you know, we'll see. Yeah, man. It's crazy. I kind of wanted to end the interview on a, on like a, on a personal note, that story that we were talking about to lacrosse, but unfortunately there was, there was a dark side of that story. Yeah. So we won't, we won't get into that, but um you know, uh, I um, I did I did want to talk a little bit about you as an athlete in college. So I didn't know you played baseball in college. What what sports did you play in college? And I guess like, you know, like what position? I mean, I guess what was your experience in college as, as an athlete? Um, well, I played two sports. I played baseball and rugby. Although I only played baseball my first two years, I didn't stick with it. Um, I stuck with rugby the whole way through. Uh, I was the captain of the rugby team junior and senior year. Okay. Um, it's funny, like growing up, baseball is my main sport, but I had more success with rugby at the college level. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, but I mean, you know, I, I think you learn a lot of things playing sports that translate to other parts of your life. And some of the lessons I learned playing, you know, those two sports and other sports growing up, you know, have made me a better broadcaster and, and a better person. And, you know, you learn different things playing sports, whether it's, you know, work ethic or, you know, working well within a team or, um, you know, learning to have confidence in yourself and not backing down from challenges and those things, like I said, apply to plenty of things off the field. Well, yeah, I mean, why don't we stay on that for a second, right? Like for me, I ran track when I, when I was in college and, you know, I, one of the, I feel like what I loved more than anything was the camaraderie, right? I really enjoyed, you know, being around my teammates. I really enjoyed the bus rides and, you know, eating team dinners with them before meets and, you know, the parties and whatnot that we'd host over there. Where I went to college, it wasn't like we didn't have frats. So basically the athletes worked as sort of like the frats. What, what was it like at, at Curry? Like where did you guys have frats or was it kind of like with like the rugby boys in the base? There's no Greek life. Like the big cheese. 
on campus. There was no, there was no Greek life. Um, the sports teams partied, although it, it would depend. You know, some teams had off-campus houses and they kind of right. did whatever they wanted. Other teams had on-campus suites, which is more limited because Curry is such a small school and they crack down on partying harder than a lot of schools do. In some ways, I mean, I, I overall had a good, you know, experience um, at Curry. I don't regret going there, but from a social standpoint, in some ways, it's like an extra four years of high school because there are fun things to do, but it's so clicky and sketchy with the, mm -hmm. the party scene. Uh, some kids still act like they're in high school, but <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I had a fun time with the, uh, you know, with the rugby guys and, um, you know, we had, we had a suite um, that I lived in as an upperclassman. Uh, you know, we did some questionable activity, which I probably shouldn't share. Uh, nothing mean spirited or unethical, but definitely plenty of stupid things. So, um, you know, but, uh, you know, it was all part of the experience. It was fun. We had a lot of laughs and uh, yeah, I mean, no regrets. Did the athletes on campus have clout? Like I would say where I went to school, right? Like if you, if you were on the soccer or the basketball team and you basically had, you know, like the, like the varsity jacket, it was like, you, it, you could, you could have been at the bottom of the depth chart. Like that, that was, that was like, man, it's crazy. I can't even think of any other word, but you were basically like a chick magnet right there. Like you're walking into the dining hall. Mind you, it's a campus of 12, 1500 people, right? Right. Everybody knows who the athletes are, but specifically like we're talking like basketball, like soccer, like you had clout. It didn't matter whether you would start or not. Was it, did, did, did that, did, was that energy there at Curry or was it like, did people not really give a, give a damn, like if you played a sport or not? Uh, I mean, it depends. I mean, it's like, yeah. Yeah. If you're on a team, whatever you wore your varsity jacket or whatever, maybe, you know, like desperate freshman girls wanted to hook up with you, but like, you know, in the real world, no one gives a shit if you played a sport at a D3 college. Um, so, you know, if the highlight of your life is, you know, playing a D3 sport and, and making out freshman girls at parties, you've lived a pretty shitty life. So, <laughs> I mean, there was, there was that to some degree, but, you know, let's not make it out to be more than it was. <laughs> I'm saying that because it's like, I like, uh, I don't know if you guys have alumni weekend, but you know, I would, it was like, you would, I would stay seeing alumni from like five, 10, even maybe like 15, 20 years ago, coming back to try to relive the good old days. Yeah. I'll never forget my freshman year, right? This is like my first experience, you know, at alumni weekend. There was this dude, probably like, like twice our age, dude had the ring and everything. And this dude's basically like this dude's married. He's basically trying to hook up with like freshman and senior girls. I'm like, dude, like, like go home. Like, you had your time. You gotta like you, you got you gotta basically. It's time to hang up the jersey, man. Yeah, hang up the jersey. Well, and that's my thing. Yeah, I enjoyed college, but once I graduated, I was done. You know, yeah. I don't. I'm not. I mean, I've hung out with people I went to college with. You know, out and about in public, but I I haven't really been back to campus much. And. uh yeah, I, I don't want to be one of those guys, you know, crashing on the couch at, at frat houses when I'm 30. <laughs> oh man, listen, man, I, 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 it's been it's been a hell of a ride, man. I've I've enjoyed I've enjoyed this interview. Um, I guess uh, before I let you go, I kind of want to say um, I just want to ask, like, who, what are your top three favorite sports, and who are? Well, us is first, and I want to get your favorite athletes afterwards. But like, what are? I guess like like what are like your top three favorite sports in order? That can be you know NCAA, basketball, the NBA, NFL. Like, what are like the three major sports that you're like? Oh. Um, 
as a broadcaster, I don't have favorite sports. I'm open to, to any opportunities. Um, you know, maybe the NFL stuff I've done in the past has been the most fun, but I'm open to any opportunities. Um, you know, growing up, baseball is my favorite sport to play, but, um, you know, they got more into rugby in college. But, yeah, you know, I'm open to any opportunities. I watch a lot of different sports on my own time, and um, I really try to keep up with everything. So I wouldn't say I focus in too much on one specific area. Cool. And uh... favorite athlete. Uh, definitely my co-host Carlos Dansby. Um, I, I love I love him with a burning fiery passion. And uh, anyone listening should subscribe to our podcast. And if you don't, you're a bad person. I was gonna say, um, where can we find Leverett Ball? This is your chance. You know, give us all your social media. The yeah, um, and, uh... my podcast, uh, uh, Big Dick One Two Three. No, um, <laughs> so. Uh, Instagram and Twitter are my main social medias. Uh, actually, more so Instagram. Twitter's kind of a secondary. I'd say Instagram's number one, Twitter's two, then like Facebook, LinkedIn, the other ones. Uh, my Insta handle, it's just uh, Leverett underscore ball 12, uh, L-E-V-E-R-E-T-T, all lowercase, underscore ball, lowercase, B-A-L-L, and the number 12. Uh, that's my Insta handle. Um, Post all my content on there. Um, that's my main platform. Um, you can find me on on YouTube. You can find my podcasts on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, all the other major podcast platforms. And then you can see me um, on uh, Nested in various ESPN platforms for the different um, you know college and pro teams uh, that I cover. And who knows, maybe. You know, I'm always open to new opportunities, so maybe additional channels and additional platforms moving forward. Cool, man. All right, I promise this is the last question. I could not let you leave the podcast without asking this. We've been talking about Instagram DMs and people going back and forth at it. I need your perspective. What mm -hmm. happened between Kevin Durant and Michael Rappaport last week? I didn't even read all the messages. I just heard it was really, really bad. Well, what did, what did you hear about it first and foremost? Well, I mean, I heard that um, I heard that uh, Mike Mike DM KD after an interview we had with Charles Barkley, and he basically asked KD like, you know, like why, like basically why'd you give Barkley an attitude during the interview? And then KD, you know, KD basically said, you know, I would I just answered the question, and then you know it, it just kind of kept going back and forth, and then Mike. You know, I guess KD threatened Mike's wife, and then that's when Mike leaked the conversation. And like, I just I haven't like looked looked into it. I honestly just read like the first couple text messages, and now I was just basically just listening to reactions about it. But I um, mean, well, Michael Rappaport has beef with everyone. He also has beef <laughs> with his former his former uh, employer Barstool, and with David Portnoy. Although I don't blame him on that. I think David Portnoy is the most overrated person in media, and probably the biggest tool bag on the planet. We can do a separate interview. I can go, you know, in detail point by point. Um, so I don't blame him for butting heads with Portnoy. That guy has probably the most punchable face I've ever seen. But um, but no, but I mean, he's had beef with a lot of people. He's a passionate guy. And also, with, you know, with some of this celebrity beef, I mean, part of it's stage and it's just entertainment yeah. and they're looking for publicity. I mean, some of the people I've had beef with, like, yeah, it was genuine. Like, I think they're shitty people, but, you know, I wouldn't screen grab it and, you know, my decision to screen grab stuff and post it is, is partly strategic. You know, um, people like <laughs> drama, you know, it generates, uh, it generates a buzz. And so, 
Um, you know, so I, again, who knows how much of it is, is just staged and how much of it is real. But, uh, you know, Rappaport, he's a passionate guy. He's butted heads with a lot of people. Yeah. All right, Leverett. I've, I've had you on my podcast for about an hour and 20 minutes now. So that's just enough for me to get that past that website where I can basically upload this thing for free. Word. Listen, my man, thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to be on my podcast. I'm going to, I'll release this in like, you know, probably at the next couple of days or so. I just, you know, I'll, the promotion, the hype, you know how that shit works. Yeah. Um, I, I'm excited to release this, man. How about I just get one picture for the gram? Sure. Let everyone know, hey, I got you Let's on my Let's do podcast. it. Let's yeah, do it. On my podcast tonight. Awesome. Man. Hell yeah. Listen, when on the, uh, uh, the Rich and Facts podcast. Absolutely. Listen, man, when it when I told you when it when it's safe, we definitely gotta hang out again. That party oh, I, yeah. the last time you saw me, by the way, that was that that was that Halloween BU theme party. I think that's what it was. Yeah. Dude, I like I, I was sober in there for, for like maybe 10 minutes, probably less. Oh than yeah, 10. no, I was pretty pretty sloppy as well. But um my buddy got kicked out too. Oh yeah. Like, but um it was a shit, it was a shit show that day. Oh, yeah. Also, you know, I might start doing some, like, Instagram live sessions to talk about sports. If you're ever interested, I'll hit you up when I'm doing sure. it. If you want to jump on Instagram live. Let's do that, man. I, I'm, I'm for it. I, it's funny because, like, most of the Instagram lives are from, like, these celebrities I don't even care about. But if it's you, I'll definitely hop on, you know. Yeah. No, absolutely. We'll talk sports. You know it. You know it. But, yeah, we'll definitely hang once things are more back to normal. And, I'll let you know the Pirates might have some opportunities here and there. I'll keep an eye out. I don't know, but I'll, I'll keep an eye out if you have any interest in working with them. I appreciate that. And <laughs> hopefully, I don't, hopefully I don't have to tell anybody in the stands to kiss. Yeah. That was with the Worcester Railers. They're oh, yeah. a minor like hockey team. The girl, uh, the girl I was working for at the time, her name's Jackie Avola. Fuck that bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! If they do, I better be the. I better be the. I better be the one in the couple. Like I won't go into any anyone who's a couple. I'll go to. I'll. I'll, I'll point out whoever's single. I'll be like, "Yo, you trying to get in this picture real quick?" Yeah. Oh, yeah. Man. All right, bro. I'm. A, I'm gonna let you go. I'm gonna let you get some. Hell yeah! And I'll I'm just. Yeah, I'm just a little. Sorry, I'm a little low energy. I'm just fucking shot. No, no, no. It's up at four forty-five a.m. You've been great, man. I apologize that this went on a little longer than. No, all good. All good. But uh. Hey, man, I'm going to let you get some rest, and we'll talk soon. All right, bro? Yeah, we'll talk soon. Yeah, we'll hang soon as well whenever it's safe to do so. Absolutely. Have a good Hell night. Hell yeah. All right, man. I'll catch you later, bro. Take care. Good. Peace out.